Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you go to get your podcasts, or you can go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information. Feel free to send along a comment on our contact form, or you can send an email directly to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. We respond to all of your communication. Um, uh, please also take a look at our work that we do uh, on our uh, consulting tab on our website under uh, CFS Financial. CFS Financial is a consulting firm that works with companies, uh, primarily nonprofits, primarily Christian schools, but also some other Christian nonprofits and sometimes other companies on uh, debt negotiation, governance, strategic planning, and the like. You can go there for more information about our work. Well, it's good to be uh, back with you again. Last week, uh, we had Colette House, Dr. Colette House, who is the superintendent of Aurora Christian Schools on the podcast. And uh, she told the amazing story of Aurora Christian, which is a, a truly uh, an amazing story. I, I, I can't think of another one like it where... They've gone from 20-some million in debt just really 12 years ago to maybe even slightly less than 12 years ago now to being completely debt-free. What a story that is. She really should assemble a team and go across the country telling Christian organizations, Christian nonprofits, how to do that. Christian nonprofits that find themselves burdened with debt. And I know some of you, when I say find themselves, you, you cringe because we, we get ourselves in trouble. Boards do that. Leaders do that. And I understand all that. But it is what it is when you get to that point. Um, and the fact that they were vigilant, that they trusted God, that they listened to wise counsel again and again. Um, it, I mean, it has... It has been a journey. We really didn't get in the weeds and go into lots of details at every turn in the road, but they, they have been through a lot and, and stayed the course by God's grace, and, and here we are. Well, the week before that, we, we were in Philippians. We've started this study that um, is just about, about joy. Uh, it's about a bunch of other things, too, but... Paul is, is writing, you might remember, to this church at Philippi. He's, he's writing from a, a Roman prison. He, I mean, he's under house arrest in, in Rome. He had, he had told the Roman church, if you've studied the book of Romans, that he longed to visit them. He apparently hadn't visited them. So people who, who credit Paul or Peter with founding the church at Rome um, have, have kind of missed an important point, and that is, that is that that they neither of them visited there uh, until Paul did during what we call his third missionary journey, where he gets arrested in Jerusalem, and really he's arrested by his own people, the Jewish people. For well, he's apprehended initially by them, and then and then he he appeals to Caesar, and he is taken on quite a journey that you can read about in the Book of Acts. You can start. Uh, maybe at the beginning, but uh, verse uh, chapter 15 or 16, somewhere in there, and, and read about Paul's travels. It's just quite a, quite a story. A huge section of Acts is devoted to chronicling. It's written by Luke, and, and uh, it, it chronicles Paul's, Paul's journey, God's providence in Paul's life um, through his, his ministry. There's a part of Paul's life that isn't as well chronicled, and and scripture is just like this. It it it, it leaves uh, gaps in 
in the historical record um, for, you know, I guess a way to say it is the things that aren't essential for us to understand. For example, we don't know. We know Paul was freed after, um, I mean, his journey was long. It might have been as long as two years from Jerusalem to Rome. But then for at least a couple of years, he was under house arrest, at, which is when he wrote the uh, several epistles, Philemon and uh, I believe Ephesians and Philippians among them, and, and and maybe Colossians, I don't recall. But Paul is he's apparently freed and 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 might have gone back to the church at Philippi. We've got some accounts of Timothy going back. Paul sends Timothy, and you remember a couple of weeks ago we read the the introduction and talked about Timothy being with him, possibly even being the scribe. Well, the the church at Philippians, we don't have to struggle. There are some things in Scripture that are talked about historically that may, maybe we have to adjust our thinking a little bit to understand. We don't with with these people at Philippi. We can, we can relate to this. Their their founder, if you recall, their founder is in prison. They believe he could die, and they send this guy, Epaphroditus, who might have been their pastor, might have been an elder. We don't know. He's apparently well regarded because he's he's entrusted with this offering they collect to meet Paul's financial needs. And there, there are several additional studies you can do, um, you know, Roman Roman imprisonment being among them, this whole house arrest and being chained to a Praetorian guard and uh, Imperial Guard or whatever they called them and, and all those things. You can learn they they did six hour shifts. So there were four of them during a day. And you can imagine the impact Paul might have had over a couple of years of being chained to these people. He even talks about that in this letter a little bit. He references it. Well, whereas whereas most, well, take Romans, for example, Paul's epistle to the church at Rome. It has 16 chapters. It's quite lengthy, and he develops themes as he goes on. You know, among them, the righteousness of God or justification of God, the justification by faith, rather. And, in, and yet in Philippians, we only have four chapters, and the and the information is is more uh, compact, and and so last time we talked about uh, this introduction. Uh, so so you can imagine this church having having heard that Paul might die, and uh, know, knowing he could be sentenced to death, knowing he's imprisoned, really worrying about him, and they send Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus looks at the situation and assesses it with Paul. And says, wow, this offering, although Paul called it a generous one, um, is, is not sufficient to meet his financial needs. And Epaphroditus does what few friends would do and says, I'll stay here and work for you. I'll get some work done. I'll, I'll, I'll meet the rest of your financial need. And, uh, and then he becomes ill in so doing. As far as we know, he did meet the rest of the financial need. We don't, we don't know that for sure, but it seems he did. And he becomes ill and almost died. And because this town of Philippi is is on a trade route to Asia, it, it's a it's a fairly well traveled road apparently, and and Philippi was called Little Rome, you you'll remember. But but because of of all of that, um, word seemed to travel, even though they were hundreds of miles apart, uh, from Rome to Philippi and Philippi to Rome, quite readily. We don't know exactly how. Could have been other church members who made the trip to Rome, but now this church hears that uh, you know it's kind of like that. You hear you hear an old story, and and you hear well, you think that's bad, and it gets worse. Uh, so now they hear that 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 Epaphroditus is is uh, sick and and very very sick and and might die, and uh, and and so they, their anxiety goes up even more, and that. That informs Paul as he writes this letter. Um, so the last thing I'll say about these introductory comments are, imagine uh, this letter being read, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read chapter one in a moment. But imagine it being read to you as a member of this church while you're worried about Paul and Epaphroditus. It's read by the pastor or an elder probably in front of the entire church. You know, you don't forward the email to this to this group uh, address list. Word of mouth was used to disseminate information in the in the early church. So 
let's listen to these words. And, and I'll, I'll just make a couple of comments as we go for these first 11 verses. We've covered this material, but I want us to hear it today in context. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And we talked last time that we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about what that means, uh, bond servants or slaves, uh, doulos or, or douloi is the root Greek word. And it is, in fact, a slave. It's one who's given his will to the will of another. Uh, literally, that's what it means. And I've heard uh, uh, theologians and pastors attempt to explain that, no, this is more like the employee-employer relationship in America. And, and, and it's not. You, you, can, you, can, you can read the historical account. A person born into slavery during this time was born into slavery. You could buy your way out or you could be released by a person. But this, this wasn't quite what American slavery was in the uh, 18th and part of the 19th century. But, but it, it was slavery nonetheless. And, and so the son of a slave would have been a slave. Uh, and so Timothy, Paul's spiritual son in the faith, would have also been a, a slave. So Paul, uh, and, and one of the things you can do, and we did it last time we talked about this, uh, is you can compare Paul's greetings. That's a fascinating study. I would challenge you to do that if you've never done it. You can, you can figure out the order uh, for most of his epistles and, and read the greetings, what, what, what a humble man Paul was. And, and he, he, he doesn't just cut and paste, uh, to use modern language. He doesn't just automatically use the same greeting, although he does have some of the same phrases that he repeats again and again, but he tailors the greeting even to the specific audience and to whoever's with him as he's doing the writing. And then he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Now, this is curious because Paul calls he and Timothy servants and the, the people at Philippi saints. We uh, uh, sometimes think of saints as these people who've died, who've been, you know, declared saints. We think of we, we hold saints in very, very high regard um, and, and in our culture. Uh, however, uh, Paul is talking about all of the he says all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Uh, he's, he's talking about uh, the church members, Christ followers at Philippi. And uh, that's an important decision. We can be comfortable. That word saints has the idea of being set apart. We can be comfortable with that notion in modern times. We can call each other saints. I mean, that might sound weird in our culture, but that's who we are, the set apart ones. It's the uh, uh, same root as sanctification, same idea as holiness, being, being set apart, apart from the thinking and pattern of, of the world. And then he says, with the overseers and deacons, and we talked about that, those are, those are elders uh, and deacons. And I, I often tell people that it makes me pause a little bit when a job description in the church is, is spelled out in, in the Bible, the, the qualifications and duties. And you can, you can do a study on that, elders and deacons. Uh, the, this, this word for deacon has, has the idea of uh, moving rapidly so as to stir up dust. <laughs> it's a compound Greek word. And it, and it also has the idea of waiting tables. It's, it's, it's to do the work, the work that needs to be done. And that word for overseers is elder. Elders are overseers. And, and that has the idea of spiritual leadership, leadership really in every respect. So, so the elder position in the church is, is a bit more senior, if I can use uh, business terminology. Uh, and, and, and deacon is more just getting the work done, making, attending to the basic needs. And you can read about that also in Acts, this, this need for deacons that came along because the overseers were, were being burdened with, you know, waiting on the tables and the more mundane uh, needs. Both roles are very important in the church. One isn't really superior to the other. I know some people would disagree with that, but but the whenever you read in scripture this this notion of gifting you see that the the our gifts are complementary and there are especially paul in romans 12 he really spells this out how the church is supposed to 
uh, work together. But then you see in verse two, his familiar greeting, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pointed out that grace and peace are referenced here in verse two. And they're also also referenced in chapter four. In fact, grace is referenced again in the last verse of this letter. So Paul brackets everything he says with grace and peace. This isn't a casual thing. This would have this greeting he used again and again in his epistles, it would have appealed to both Jews and Gentiles, but his audience in Philippi is almost exclusively Gentile. Um, but he still uses grace and peace. Our peace is predicated on God's grace. But, and he makes it clear he links God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we really shouldn't struggle with the deity of Christ. Paul Paul makes so clear in his greetings that um, uh, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he, he in all of his writings, uh, he, he is very consistent, very clear on this point. Then he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all. So, so he's talking to all of them for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now that's a, that's another beautiful concept because we can partner with ministries in the gospel through prayer and through donations, through funding um, and, and, and sharing in the work in various ways. There are various ways to do this. We don't have to all go and pioneer, do we? I'm a member, my family is a member of Emmanuel Presbyterian Church. Um, and and it is it is a it's a good local church and, and we didn't have to we didn't have to found that church. We have to start that church. We benefit from people who've who've gone long long before us we we have a a family the mcphail family and mike mcphail a an elder who who is it was around in the early early days of in the founding of of this this church um but the rest of us have come along since then and i could be leaving somebody else out who's still there who was part of the the early days the founding days but um there there's uh, we, we we can share we can partner in the gospel with others this is very healthy for us to do uh, we can also support other works around the world now uh, it's quite easy now we didn't have to we didn't have to take an offering like the macedonian churches did from time to time and and say here epaphroditus uh, hope your travels go well and and have them risk life and limb and it was a lengthy travel process and uh, it, we we can now press a button and funds get moved electronically Obviously, we should we should ensure that that the ministry is a gospel ministry. And Paul's going to talk about uh, the, the kind of the good, bad and ugly of, of, of gospel ministry uh, here coming up in this letter. And then he says in verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So in the end, when the, at the second coming of Christ, he he, he, that is that is when we are complete. For now, we are we're we're partial. We're we're partially complete. We're we're not we're not complete. He has begun a good work in us, and there's there's just tension in in this in this journey. And then Paul goes on in, in verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer, so, so this is his prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. You, you've seen this language before in Romans where he says where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Uh, this, this is the abounding more. This is the, the super abounding that Paul talks about. Love should abound more and more in our lives with knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge, this, this word gnosis, um, G-N-O-S-I-S, is, is not a light form of knowledge. It's a, it's a knowing well. Um, love and knowledge and discernment go together to Paul. You hear that here. It's not... 
love love abounding is not this warm fuzzy feeling where i look the other way ignore facts fall for whatever emotional thing comes along no no love abounds with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through jesus christ to the glory and praise of god Then he starts a new paragraph. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So he's talking about his imprisonment. Paul Paul understands the purpose of his, very specifically, of all suffering, but his trials and suffering in particular. So I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest and and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ man isn't that something and and most of the brothers having become confident in the lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear paul had vision paul could see what was going on in the world and he's saying you know most of the brothers who are I'm assuming he's talking about apostles and church leaders around the world are now because of Paul's imprisonment, because of what Paul is accomplishing. They're, they're more bold to speak the word without fear. Leadership is a funny thing. And Paul, Paul describes it here. He's, he's really described it already. Hasn't he? His, first of all, his org chart is inverted. You know, he and Timothy are servants so he's already told us about what servant leadership he's elevated this the the people at philippi to saints he didn't do it god did it but he's using the right language there to indicate yes my org chart is inverted he's talked about real values he's he's given you a value proposition those of you who are strategic planners he's given you his mission statement if you're old strategic planners (laughs) but but he's given you a value proposition already that 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 we we want to be loving uh, in in the affection of Jesus Christ with all knowledge and discernment and then now he's he's given you the big picture he's done a SWOT analysis and he's talked about external strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats in the second paragraph that started in verse 12 and ended in verse 14 and then he says in verse 15 some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill now isn't this interesting He's talking about people who are preachers. He's talking about teachers. And they, they, they preach Christ. They, they apparently, based on a couple of things he's about to say, preach the real gospel, but they do it for the wrong reasons, out of envy and rivalry. I, I certainly don't want to have competition uh, either in, in, the, in the classes I teach or, or in the rest of my life. I don't want to compare my company or my teaching or the size of the class or the amount of interest in the class with others. I, I don't want envy and rivalry to, to enter, you know, as a human, there, there's some of that that's natural, but Paul is calling them out. These people at Philippi, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it. The, the goodwill people do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. That's the word that, that we translate uh, apologetic. Uh, this defending, this making a defense, defense of the gospel. The former, the, the, those who are, are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So there's some rivalry going on here. And, and there, there are some people who are preaching the gospel to, I mean, it's, it's the real gospel apparently, but but it's it, it it's designed to it, it, they have this kind of rivalry with Paul. I mean, y- you always have if you're going to be a leader. I mean, what a beautiful picture this is. You're, you're always going to have people who copy what you do or seek to. Uh, we call it riding on your coattails. <laughs> but listen to verse eighteen. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense. Or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. At least, he says, Christ is proclaimed. Yes, and I will rejoice, 
he says. There's that, there's that word for joy. For I know, Gnosis, again, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Man, that I, I hope that is true of all of us. And then he says, this is a familiar verse in verse 21, for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is torn, and we'll talk about the Greek words here, that uh, it really has this idea of pressure from two sides. Uh, Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And then the last paragraph in chapter one, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and, and now I still have. So we've already talked about this sal- salutation. That, you know, this, this is the word of God. This is the holy inspired word of our Lord. It is inspired and we should treat it with respect. Uh, we talked last time about Paul's greetings, about, about this particular uh, greeting, about the blessing, this uh, Greek word charis for grace and, and, and peace, and the, the way that, that that concept brackets this, this book of Philippians. And then we looked at this Thanksgiving and prayer in, in verses 3 through 11, where he thanks God for, for his remembrance of them. And, and we just we just read through uh, that section. We 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 said last time it, it's natural for the Philippians to be anxious for Paul's welfare. I mean, it, you know, we have circumstances on this earth that create tension, that create anxiety. We you and I, although sometimes if you listen to the media and our culture, you 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 see that we we live lives to avoid uh, tension, anxiety, difficulty, suffering. And yet Paul looks at it totally differently and says, may God use, God is using my suffering for his glory. It, it was natural for the Philippians to be anxious, to experience some anxiety. And I, I'm not going to go all, all therapist on you and talk about all the benefits of having some stress and anxiety, but there are some. If, if you live your life to be insular from from stress and anxiety if you bubble wrap if you try to bubble wrap yourself or your children you're going to live in a very frustrating place i get to see this with my high school students when they leave the nest and and most of them do not all but most do leave the nest after high school one in one way or another even if they live at home while going to college there's this there's this process that that they call adulting where they start to take on adult duties and, and, and at some point the bubble wrap comes off and, and I'm not saying to oh, we'll just rip it off when they're, when they're in eighth grade, but, but I am suggesting that there is value and, and, and even adults, young adults and older adults even try to live these insular lives that don't experience stress. I'm guilty of this. When you've been blessed by God financially, you can, you can start to just play defense and avoid, avoid stress 
but we're, we're made for this. We're made for, for work. We're made for uh, Christians, for gospel ministry, where we're, we have an imperative to engage in taking the gospel to the world and making disciples, importantly. Um, you know, there are times where I don't want to teach anymore. And not many times because I, I love it. I really do love our Lord and, and am honored by this opportunity. I, I don't know how long it'll last. I, I, none of us know, but, but what, a, what a joy it is. But it is hard. <laughs> it, it, it really is hard when, you, when you're face-to-face in a room and you've got, oh, I don't know, most of the room are, are theologians, <laughs> And I mean, they, they could be an ordination committee and, you know, there, there's pressure there. There's, there's pressure to prepare well, but what, what an honor it is. So, so it was natural for the Philippians to be stressed out there. Their founding pastor, you can, you, you don't need to struggle to imagine this, do you? Uh, Their founding pastor has been arrested and, and yet Paul did not allow his circumstances to rob him of joy in the Lord. Whatever happened to him, he just said, we read it, was for the furtherance, furtherance of the gospel. His imprisonment in Rome gave him time to write these four epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and uh, Philemon. So he had a ministry of prayer. If you notice when Paul writes about prayer, and, and you know about the founding of this church and and, and the, the, way, the way that the, the demon-possessed girl, uh, you know, he cast out this demon and she she was apparently a money maker for her whoever owners were and or or uh, the people who had guardianship over her uh, were apparently uh, making money and and you, so you know that you know the history you know how dear paul would have been i mean that i think the jailer and his family were probably the founding members of the church at philippi so what a, what a story i mean this is unbelievable it's not just some guy says let's go do a church plant this is god just just shaking the ground, opening the jail. Guy that runs the jail is about to kill himself. Paul says, wait, don't do that. We're all still here. And there had been a riot that had, had, had basically the mob had thrown him in jail for this for this exorcism that had occurred, this this casting out this demon that had occurred. And so you know, they had quite a beginning. So it's natural for them to be stressed. So uh, there there's. There's so much going on in in this uh, chapter, so much beautiful theology in even these introductory uh, comments. We talked last time also about Paul's prayer here in this uh, th- uh, verses three through 11 and, uh, and, and how he prays for all of them. Uh, he's making these petitions with, with joy. And he, and he says something about them participating with him in the gospel, this is this word koinonia, um, this Greek word that that has the idea of sharing, holding something in common, and and I, I just I want to point out that that this Paul's describing. I mean, among many other things here, he's describing true Christian fellowship. And I'm not suggesting that we don't have non-Christian friends. Of course, we do. I do, and and I have perfectly lovely relationships with those people. I don't really think of them all that differently. I do think of them differently in some respects, but we can have good, warm, close friendship. But that's not the same as Christian fellowship. And and Paul Paul talks about that rather rather clearly with this word par- partnership or participation in the gospel. And and one of the things I think you notice he says in the gospel. Uh, one of the things I think we do is uh, you know in verse five because of your partnership in the gospel from from the first day until now, I, I I don't think we emphasize that the gospel is truly our source of real fellowship. This participation in partnership in those relationships when we we learn together, grow together, serve together. Are, are wonderful fellowship opportunities. You, you'll, you'll hear people say, we're having a fellowship dinner or fellowship lunch or dinner on the grounds or whatever you call it at your church um, as if it's designed to force fellowship. And that, that can be wonderful, uh, a wonderful opportunity to have gospel fellowship. But, but 
if that fellowship is centered in something other than the gospel, and no, I'm not saying that you have to fold your hands and have a Sunday school lesson everywhere you go. I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that real fellowship in the gospel, the way Paul described it, that word in is really into the gospel. Into is the Greek word. E-I-S is the English translation of the Greek word. But that is real biblical fellowship. I sense this. I experience this in this Sunday class that I teach at my church. There is real gospel fellowship going on in that room, in that context. I sense it in my classes at Circle Christian School. There is real gospel fellowship that goes on even when we're talking about economics because we do so from the perspective of a Christian worldview. If the gospel doesn't inform everything I do as a teacher, I'm an epic failure. And I I think Paul is pointing that out. Paul was confident, he says, am confident, uh, am sure is the idea. And he he says that in verse six because, and the word he used is is a settled persuasion of mind. And and that is continuing. It's a, it's a, the voice is, is continuing in that sentence. And, and it has to do with a critical decision that was made in the past. His confidence comes from Christ's work in, in him. He knew what God had done and was doing in his life. Well, there's a lot here we could really get in the weeds. But the fact is that Paul is, if you read this chapter carefully, you'll see the beauty of it. And you can look up a, a number of these words uh, yourselves. A, a complimentary passage that he, that he wrote while still in this prison is in Ephesians 2. It's so familiar. You know it. Uh, verses 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, We believe in justification by faith and the impact Paul teaches very consistently of those works in in our lives. There's this certainty of completion that Paul talks about in verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? I am certain of this that he, he will bring it to completion. So a- according to God's sovereign purpose, Christians are already glorified in a sense. Uh, we see that in Romans 8. We, we observe what is presently happening, don't we? And God looks at, at people as what we will be when he's finished the work in us. God, God calls into being that which does not exist. We saw that in Romans 4 in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You and I can't do that. This is part of that high view of God that we talk about on Relentless Truth all the time. Uh, I I know you probably get tired of me repeating myself, but just think about that for for a minute. Uh, For example, when we look at God's essence, his attributes, his character, who he is, he calls into existence the thing that do not exist. So if you struggle with God's transcendence, how does God do this? Why, why does God allow that? Well, we'll start there with, with who God is. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. He's talked already about the, the Philippians being in his heart. This is a thinking, feeling thing that he talks about. He's, he's concerned about his chains or imprisonment. He's human. And, and he's also concerned about the defense and confirmation of the gospel he says he longs for them isn't that wonderful it's it, the they, uh, english standard version says he yearns i yearn it, it's this 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 strong strong term of desire it's got that prefix epi epi that we've talked about before it's this it has the idea of of an athlete straining for the the finish line to finish first it's it's this strong strong desire and then he mentions the affection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's this, uh, the viscera, uh, the internal organs of the body are referenced here. And, and then, he, then he uses in verse 9 this, this expression, abounding love. And we, we talked about that as we, 
as we read this, that, that where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Grace super abounded. Our love abounds based on, Paul says, knowledge and discernment. I, I always growing up feared that I wasn't as spiritual as everybody else. I mean, there's probably some insecurity thing, maybe even some arrogance in that, self-reliance in that. But it is just so helpful for me to understand that this, this being able to love is not something you just go dream up and you, I mean, it is good to train yourself to love, but it's based on knowledge and discernment. So learn more as we learn more about who God is, who man is, how God relates to man. We learn more about his, his, the disclosure to us in scripture, his, his, his grace for us, his means of grace in scripture and prayer. As we, as we learn and grow in him, our love for each other grows. I know that is a simple concept, but don't we forget it when we start applying these truths. So uh, there's, there's a phrase in, in, in verse 10 that I just want to point out quickly so that you may approve what is excellent. That, that what is excellent, that, that's actually things that differ. Diaphoranta is the English translation uh, of the Greek word ta diaphoranta. It's, it's the, it, it isn't the difference between good and evil, but, but it's, it's between primary and secondary. Isn't that, isn't that cool to know? It's things that differ. Excellence differ. These things that are excellent in Christ differ from the way we're wired in the world. Be not transformed to this world, but uh, be not conformed to this world, Paul says in Romans 12 too, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So approving what is excellent here has the idea of discerning value or learning how to evaluate proper, properly. That's one of the signs of our maturity. You know, there are several uh, of them that we could talk about here. But one is knowing how to evaluate. We, things are valuable in our society because we ascribe value to them. You know, our dollars, for example, don't have intrinsic value. I mean, they do in a sense because our country backs them up. But but we don't have a gold standard any longer. But we, you know, things are valuable because we've talked about the diamond water paradox. Water we need for living. Uh, diamonds, not so much. And yet diamonds per unit are, are worth so much more than water and diamonds don't fall from the sky and uh, there's no diamond cycle. There is a water cycle. So I understand the difference, but the, the point is as we mature, we learn how to value. I bet if you're a Christian and you've been on this earth for more than 40 years, I bet you value certain things. If you've been in Christ for a couple of decades or more, you value certain things differently than you did before. There's also gentleness that we we grow we we paul paul's all about not losing our discernment it's, it's based on knowledge and discernment remember our love but but there there's a gentleness that is a part of the fruit of, of of the spirit this this pure and blameless idea that that paul mentions in verse 10 uh, and so be pure and blameless for the day of christ it, it has the idea of, of being judged by the sun Ancient jars were examined for, for cracks by holding them up against the rays of the sun. What a beautiful picture this is, pure and blameless. This isn't, oh, I just kind of snuck in the back door. The implications of the gospel are such that we are pure and blameless. And then he goes on in, in verse 11. We, we talked about that. We, we talked about this, this justified position that, that we have before a holy God. But we have a personal responsibility that Paul makes clear in verse 11. L listen to this. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless, that, that idea of uh, examining a jar against the rays of the sun, for the day of Christ filled, verse 11, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And then he goes on and he, he talks about how we are to receive persecution, and tribulation. Jesus taught that the godly life would involve tribulation. We see this in John 16, 33. Paul, Paul predicted in, in 2 Timothy 3 that believers would face persecution. We'll have uh, evil men, evil people, and evil spirits opposing God and his children as long as we're on this earth. And we've, we've learned, if we've studied scripture for any 
period of time that we are to return good from evil. Uh, we're, 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 we're to answer evil with good. Paul talks about this throughout scripture. Jesus talks about this throughout his ministry. It, it's counterintuitive to do so. It requires training. Well, obstacles are, are opportunities to Paul. And that's really what he's talked about here in this section in verses 12 and following. If you think about it, uh, Paul, while, while he was at Jerusalem, he agreed to the request of the church elders to purify himself at the temple as a it's kind of a testimony, not kind of, but a testimony to the Jewish believers who were still jealous for the law, the Judaizers. He had, he had spent a fair amount of his life, his, his born-again life, uh, uh, combating the Judaizers, combating legalism, defending justification by faith in Christ. So they, they, the Jews spotted him in the court of the Israelites, and they began to beat him. So, and then Paul appealed to Caesar and, and so on. So when Paul writes about adversity, uh, he, he knows what he's talking about. He says in, in verse 12 that it served to advance the gospel. Divine salvation, isn't it, is often the result of adverse circumstances. When you listen to the testimony of believers, you can see very clearly, my own life is a testimony of this, that God uses adversity to bring us to him. Paul talks about his, his, his personal witness. It's become known, he says in, in verse 13, so, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. How cool is that? And, and to all the rest of that my imprisonment is for Christ. I want the world to know that my life is for Christ. This podcast is for Christ. All of the work I do, there isn't a single bit of work that I do that isn't for Christ. You can do this too, whether you're a lawyer, an engineer, an accountant. You know, I'm, I'm not preaching to you. I'm not shaming you. I'm just telling you I'm not special. <laughs> we, can, we can make our lives about gospel ministry just like Paul did. Uh, now, you know, he was a little more renowned and he was an apostle and so on. I understand the distinction, but, but just think about it for a second. The, this imperial guard is the praetorian guard. And, and you know that these are, these are special soldiers. Uh, they, historians tell us they received double compensation and they had duties that, that were very important, like guarding Caesar himself. And, and so just think about that. The, this guard uh, was also used of, of the judgment hall where Pilate tried Christ in, in Jerusalem. So, so the, Paul was chained to, to this guard, this, this very important guard. And, and they're hearing all of his conversations with friends. They're, I mean, there's no escaping. He's chained to them in six-hour shifts, we believe. So anyway, there's, there's also encouragement in, in this uh, first chapter. It's really curious that, that Paul... Literally, he's, he's talking about being confident in the Lord and more, more bold to speak. I mean, it, the, Paul's imprisonment had an impact uh, throughout the rest of the world. So Paul is, is talking in this section. He uses a definite article. He's talking about it in, in verse 14 and following. Uh, most of the brothers have been become confident in the Lord by, uh, by my imprisonment are much bolder to speak the word without fear. He's talking about it a specific group of people that have been emboldened to be a bolder testimony than they might have been. So God is using, he says, to, to magnify, to amplify, to grow his kingdom, to advance the gospel. He's using Paul's imprisonment. I, I hope uh, God, you can see God using your challenges, your difficulties for his glory in your life. I hope to encourage you, perhaps if I could just encourage one or two people, and this this audience is large uh, of this podcast now, but uh, I, I if I could just encourage a few of you to to be bolder witnesses for Christ, to be engaged in discipleship, what what an honor that would be. So we we play that role with each other, and Paul sees we serve that purpose with each other, and Paul sees that he's doing so even from prison. So I think if Paul can do it for prison from prison when his life is threatened. When they don't have effective communication tools, we certainly can do this today. So he talks about uh, goodwill and love, 
in, in verse uh, 16, uh, he says, the, the latter do it out of love. Uh, he's talking about this preaching Christ from envy and rivalry and others from goodwill. The latter, the ones who do it from goodwill, do it out of love. And he's already explained that from, through knowledge and discernment, knowing, knowing that he's put here for the defense of the gospel. That's, that's our word apologia. It's, it's the word we get. You hear the English word apologetics in there. So what, what a beautiful promise that, that we have. What a beautiful purpose that we have here that God uses the gospel even when men have bad intentions, envy, and rivalry. And so Paul says, you know, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So we're going to stop there for today. Paul is rejoicing that the gospel is going forward, even though men mess it up and have envy and rivalry. And there's, there's more to be said about that. That is that is verse 18 that says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So that's where we'll leave it. We'll come back there next week. I hope you'll come back. We need to get through the rest of, I think, God willing, we'll finish the uh, this first chapter of Rome, I'm sorry, of this epistle written from Rome to the church at Philippians. So until then, please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. Tell your, tell your friends and neighbors about us. Uh, this podcast has grown through word of mouth. Our website is johnwarrenmedia.com. You're a blessing to me. Uh, your comments are such a blessing. So I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.